Look, a book, a podcast where Auckland librarians read stories. Join us each episode as we read moments from the stories we love. Right now we are exploring The Wind in the Willows by Kenneth Graham, a fantastical tale about the adventures of Mole, Ratty, and Badger, and especially about the misadventures of their friend Mr. Toad. Today we have Claire from Birkenhead Library. Kia ora. And I'm Izzy, also from Birkenhead Library. Not that long ago, in a place not that far away, a group known as the Librarians gathered together to retell the classic stories that they love. While in the middle of their meeting, they heard a sudden loud crash and a sad poop poop. They dashed outside to find a toad sitting in the middle of the road, holding just a steering wheel. This was none other than the rascal Mr. Toad from The Wind in the Willows. So the librarians decided to take him back to the safety of Toad Hall and try to keep his mind off cars. Today, we are exploring the whimsical world of The Wind in the Willows. The author Kenneth Graham lived by the River Thames with his grandmother when he was young. The time he spent here was some of the happiest in his life and set the scene for the stories in The Wind in the Willows. These tales were first told as bedtime stories. Graham would tell his son Alistair all about Mole, Ratty, Badger and Toad and their marvellous adventures on the riverbank. Today, The Wind in the Willows is known as one of the most popular classic children's books of all time. We have read it over and over again and have come to know the characters as if they were old friends. Naturally, we are so excited to delve into their world with you today. What would life be without friends? They can make anything fun. In this passage, we see Mole making a new friend in Ratty. But what I really love is the way Kenneth Graham describes the river like a friend. Do you feel like Aotayo is your friend? I never feel alone when I'm walking through the Waitakere's or trailing my hands through one of our beautiful hour in the summertime. For the creatures in our tale, the River Thames is a living thing. It's their whole world and they see the beauty in it every day. Chapter 1, The Riverbank, in which Mole makes two new friends, Ratty and the River. He thought his happiness was complete when, as he meandered aimlessly along, suddenly he stood by the edge of a full-fed river. Never in his life had he seen a river before. This sleek, sinuous, full-bodied animal chasing and chuckling, gripping things with a gurgle and leaving them with a laugh to fling itself on fresh playmates that shook themselves free and were caught and held again. All was a shake and a shiver, glints and gleams and sparkles, Rustle and swirl, chatter and bubble. The mole was bewitched, entranced, fascinated. By the side of the river he trotted, as one trots when very small, by the side of a man who holds one spellbound by exciting stories. And, when tired at last, he sat on the bank, while the river still chatted on to him, a babbling procession of the best stories in the world, sent from the heart of the earth to be told, at last, to the insatiable sea. As he sat on the grass and looked across the river, a dark hole in the bank opposite, just above the water's edge, caught his eye, and dreamily he fell to considering what a nice, snug dwelling place it would make 
for an animal with few wants and fond of a bijou riverside residence, above flood level and remote from noise and dust. As he gazed, something bright and small seemed to twinkle down in the heart of it, vanished, then twinkled once more like a tiny star. But it could hardly be a star in such an unlikely situation, and it was too glittering and small for a glowworm. Then, as he looked, it winked at him, and so declared itself to be an eye, and a small face began gradually to grow up round it, like a frame round a picture. A brown little face with whiskers. A grave, round face with the same twinkle in its eye that had first attracted his notice. Small, neat ears and thick, silky hair. It was the water rat. Then the two animals stood and regarded each other cautiously. Hello, mole, said the water rat. Hello, rat, said the mole. Would you like to come over? inquired the rat presently. Oh, it's all very well to talk, said the mole rather pettishly, he being new to a river and riverside life in its ways. The rat said nothing but stooped and unfastened a rope and hauled on it, then lightly stepped into a little boat which the mole had not observed. It was painted blue outside and white within, and was just the size for two animals, and the mole's whole heart went out to it at once, even though he did not yet fully understand its uses. The rat sculled smartly across and made fast. Then he held up his forepaw as the mole stepped gingerly down. Lean on that, he said. Now then, step lively. And the mole, to his surprise and rapture, found himself actually seated in the stern of a real boat. This has been a wonderful day, said he, as the rat shoved off and took to the skulls again. Do you know I've never been in a boat in all my life? What? cried the rat, open-mouthed. Never been in a... you never... well, I... what have you been doing then? Is it so nice as all that? asked the mole shyly though he was quite prepared to believe it, as he leant back in his seat and surveyed the cushions, the oars, the rowlocks, and all the fascinating fittings, and felt the boat sway lightly under him. Nice? It's the only thing, said the water rat solemnly as he leant forward for his stroke. Believe me, my young friend, there is nothing, absolutely nothing, half so much worth doing as simply messing about in boats. Simply messing, he went on dreamily. Messing about in boats, messing... Look ahead, rat, cried the mole suddenly. It was too late. The boat struck the bank full tilt. The dreamer, the joyous oarsman, lay on his back at the bottom of the boat, his heels in the air. About in boats or with boats, the rat went on composedly, picking himself up with a pleasant laugh. In or out of him, doesn't matter. Nothing really seems to matter, that's the charm of it. Whether you get away or whether you don't, whether you arrive at your destination or whether you reach somewhere else or whether you never get anywhere at all, you're always busy and you never do anything in particular and when you've done it, there's always something else to do and you can do it if you like, but you'd much better not. Look here, if you've really nothing else on hand this morning, suppose we drop down the river together and have a long day of it. The mole waggled his toes from sheer happiness, spread his chest with a sigh of full contentment and leant back blissfully into the soft cushions. What a day I'm having, he said. Let us start at once. Hold hard a minute then, said the rat. He looped a painter through a ring in his landing stage, climbed up into his hole above, and, after a short interval, reappeared staggering under a fat wicker luncheon basket. Shove that under your feet, he observed to the mole as he passed it down into the boat. 
Then he untied the painter and took the skulls again. What's inside it? asked the mole, wriggling with curiosity. There's cold chicken inside it, replied the rat briefly. Cold tongue, cold ham, cold beef, pickled gherkin, salad, french rolls, crest sandwiches, potted meat, ginger beer, lemonade, soda, water. Oh, stop, stop, cried the mole in ecstasies. This is too much. Do you really think so? inquired the rat seriously. It's only what I always take on these little excursions, and the other animals are always telling me that I'm a mean beast and cut it very fine. The mole never heard a word he was saying. Absorbed in the new life he was entering upon, intoxicated with the sparkle, the ripple, the scents and the sounds and the sunlight, he trailed a paw in the water and dreamed long, waking dreams. The water rat, like the good little fellow he was, sculled steadily on and forbore to disturb him. I like your clothes awfully, old chap, he remarked after some half an hour or so had passed. I'm going to get a black velvet smoking suit myself some day, as soon as I can afford it. I beg your pardon, said the mole, pulling himself together with an effort. You must think me very rude, but this is all so new to me. So, this is a river. The river, corrected the rat. And you really live by the river? What a jolly life. By it, and with it, and on it, and in it, said the rat. It's brother and sister to me, and aunts, and company, and food and drink, and naturally, washing. It's my world, and I don't want any other. What it hasn't got is not worth having, and what it doesn't know is not worth knowing. Do you have a stern friend who you look up to, but are also a bit scared of? I was desperate to impress my older cousins and auntie growing up. They were always that little bit more wise than me. It is so wonderful having a friend like Badger, or my auntie and cousins, someone who you can count on for sage advice and great hospitality. Speaking of great hospitality, there is something magical about food and books. The way food is described can create a great craving in me, even for foods I don't like or don't eat. I haven't eaten pork for many years, except one time, after a reading about a perfect bacon sandwich. I had to rush out and eat one myself. This next reading does much the same for me. I would give my left arm to sit with Mr. Badger, Mole and Ratty in front of the warm fire and feast on the food from Mr. Badger's larder. Chapter 4 Mr. Badger In which Ratty and Mole are taken in from a snowy and cold wild woods by Mr. Badger. They waited patiently for what seemed a very long time, stamping in the snow to keep their feet warm. At last they heard the sound of slow, shuffling footsteps approaching the door from the inside. It seemed, as the mole remarked to the rat, like someone walking in carpet slippers that were too large for him and down at heel, which was intelligent of mole because this was exactly what it was. There was a noise of a bolt shot back, and the door opened a few inches, enough to show a long snout and a pair of sleepy, blinking eyes. Now, the very next time this happens, said a gruff and suspicious voice, I shall be exceedingly angry. Who is it this time, disturbing people on such a night? Speak up! Oh, Badger, cried the rat, let us in, please! It's me, Rat, and my friend Mole, and we've lost our way in the snow. What? Ratty, my dear little man, exclaimed the badger. 
in quite a different voice. Come along in, both of you, at once. Why, you must be perished. Well, I never. Lost in the snow? And in the wild wood, too? And at this time of night? But come in with you. The two animals tumbled over each other in their eagerness to get inside and heard the door shut behind them with great joy and relief. The badger, who wore a long dressing gown and whose slippers were indeed very down at heel, carried a flat candlestick in his paw and had probably been on his way to bed when their summons sounded. He looked kindly down on them and patted both their heads. This is not the sort of night for small animals to be out, he said paternally. I'm afraid you've been up to some of your pranks again, Ratty. But come along, come into the kitchen. There's a first-rate fire there, and supper and everything. He shuffled on in front of them, carrying the light, and they followed him, nudging each other in an anticipating sort of way, down a long, gloomy, and, to tell the truth, decidedly shabby passage into a sort of central hall, out of which they could dimly see other long tunnel-like passages branching, passages mysterious and without apparent end. But there were doors in the hall as well, stout oaken, comfortable-looking doors. One of these the badger flung open, and at once they found themselves in all the glow and warmth of a large firelit kitchen. The floor was well-worn red brick, and on the wide hearth burnt a fire of logs, between two attractive chimney corners tucked away in the wall, well out of any suspicion of draught. A couple of high-backed settees, facing each other on either side of the fire, gave further sitting accommodations for the sociably disposed. In the middle of the room stood a long table of plain boards, placed on trestles, with benches down each side. At one end of it, where an armchair stood pushed back, were spread the remains of the badger's plain but ample supper. Rows of spotless plates winked from the shelves of the dresser at the far end of the room, and from the rafters overhead hung hams, bundles of dried herbs, nets of onions and baskets of eggs. It seemed a place where heroes could fitly feast after victory, or where weary harvesters could line up in scores along the table and keep their harvest home with mirth and song or where two or three friends of simple taste could sit about as they pleased and eat and smoke and talk in comfort and contentment. The ruddy brick floor smiled up at the smoky ceiling. The oaken settees, shiny with long wear, exchanged cheerful glances with each other. Plates on the dresser grinned at pots on the shelf, and the merry firelight flickered and played over everything without distinction. The kindly badger thrust them down on a settee to toast themselves at the fire and bade them remove their wet coats and boots. Then he fetched them dressing gowns and slippers and himself bathed the mole's shin with warm water and mended the cut with a sticking plaster till the whole thing was just as good as new, if not better. In the embracing light and warmth, warm and dry at last, with weary legs propped up in front of them and a suggestive clink of plates being arranged on the table behind, it seemed to the storm-driven animals, now in safe anchorage, that the cold and trackless wild woods just left outside was miles and miles away, and all that they had suffered in it a half-forgotten dream. When at last they were thoroughly toasted, the badger summoned them to the table, where he had been busy laying a repast. They had felt pretty hungry before, 
but when they actually saw at last the supper that was spread for them, really it seemed only a question of what they should attack first, where all was so attractive, and whether the other things would obligingly wait for them till they had time to give them attention. Conversation was impossible for a long time, and when it was slowly resumed, it was that regrettable sort of conversation that results from talking with your mouth full. The badger did not mind that sort of thing at all, nor did he take any notice of elbows on the table, or everybody speaking at once, as he did not really go into society himself. He had got an idea that these things belonged to the things that didn't really matter. We know, of course, that he was wrong, and took too narrow a view, because they do matter very much, though it would take too long to explain why. He sat in his armchair at the head of the table, and nodded gravely at intervals as the animals told their story and he did not seem surprised or shocked at anything. And he never said, I told you so, or just what I always said, or remarked that they ought to have done so and so, or ought not to have done something else. The mole began to feel very friendly towards him. Life is but a dream, especially while floating on the river with Mole and Ratty. We hope you enjoyed meeting these woodland friends in today's episode of Look, a Book. They are far from wild animals with their polite English expressions and velvet smoking jackets. Isn't it charming how Ratty says to Mole, I like your clothes awfully, old chap. So thanks again for listening, old chap. Kenneth Graham makes the simple things in life seem magical and full of whimsy. Have today's readings made you see anything in a more magical way? Are you dreaming of floating down a river, lazily trailing one hand in the water? Perhaps your mouth is watering, thinking of the ham and eggs in Badger's underground house. Maybe you're seriously considering asking for a boat for Christmas. I know my day will be full of dreams. We are so lucky Kenneth Graham decided to write down these bedtime stories. The adventures of Graham's woodland creatures are of an idealised Edwardian life. Long golden summers spent playing with boats. Picnics are plenty, rambling about with friends. Did it fill you with nostalgia for a time long ago? Or maybe it made you look forward to our long New Zealand summer ahead. Stay tuned for more episodes with librarians reading The Wind in the Willows. Also, head down to your local library to find one of the many different versions or retellings for you to read, watch or listen to. Kakite Yano.